Hello and welcome to Daily Pepe on Unsafe Space with Carter and Carrie. Today is Monday, October 7th. And Carter has written a dissertation on today's topic. He just showed me his notes. They're all highlighted. I, it was not a dissertation. I actually wanted to write an article about this, but I didn't have time. So I have several pages worth of notes about this effing article. Um, Good. This is, it, this is going to get me fired up. Yeah. Hey, hey, as a brief aside, before we start with this subject, though, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to thank, again, all the knitters who are watching. Welcome all the knitters who are watching us. It's like, this has been really amazing to see. I mean, there's over 5,000 views on that video with Maria, which is awesome. And I love, um, not, just, not just that we're getting viewers from it as well, but I love, it. I went out, I spent some time on Instagram, and it seems that a lot of people who have heretofore been quiet about it or maybe afraid to say something, they're starting to speak up now. There's yes. all these posts now of people who are like, hey, bullying's not okay, and that's what's been going on, and we're sick of it. And, and people who are starting to recognize that this isn't an ideology. SJW ideology is a belief system, and that's why they all, they all sound the same and say the same things and have the same tactics. And once you start to realize those tactics, you can see right through it. But, um, but there are people who are starting to talk about it and defend her and defend Sakamatician and defend people. And I also saw uh, a few SJWs still try one. This was just hilarious to me. One of them was still trying to blacklist people. It was like a screenshot of a knitter who had linked to our video and said, Hey, if you're following this person, you should think twice about who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was in the comments. I just wanted to have a little bit of fun, like a cat with a little bit of yarn, ah, knitting. And so (laughs) it's like, I was like, in other words, Hey, you need to blacklist this person and we're going to blacklist you, you know, pick up that pitchfork or we're going to fork you. Like I've seen this movie several times before. I mean, it's basically what this person is saying. And then she had the gall to go back and forth with me and uh, of course had nothing interesting or meaningful at all to say, just immediately called me a racist. (laughs) No no reason. (laughs) I think maybe the faster they call you a racist, the better you are. I think that's, they go right to racist. They go right to racist and then they go right to the, uh, their attempted redefinition of racism, which is, uh, she said, you know, I hate to break it to you, but basically she's like, it's impossible to be racist towards white people. I'm like, you know what? I hate to break it to you, but racism is racism. And, uh, Pretty sure that uh, singling out individuals on the basis of their race and saying it's okay to be racist towards that group or treat them with ill will or whatever, I'm pretty sure that's the definition of racism. You might want to look at history, like spend some more time reading history and a little bit less time forming online Instagram mobs. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but all those student loans you took out for critical theory, (laughs) waste of money. (laughs) Waste of money, child. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's been great with the knitters. And um, <laughs> the thing I like about knitting is it's a microcosm of, of what's happen- what happens in a lot of different industries. But it's a nice clear-cut example because they have their own line, online community and you can see it happening. But it happens everywhere. And um, it's something to be aware of, even if you're not in the knitting community, whatever community you're in, SJW convergence happens and the same kind of crap happens everywhere. Um, so welcome, welcome knitters. By the way, I've been chatting a, with Maria. She's, uh, she's down to go to, um, what's the name of this thing? Yarn Revolution, I think. It's on the, I have it, I actually have it on my calendar. That's, that's how into the knitting community I am now, even though I, I can't knit. 
Can um, we go? Is like a, a it's on the tenth of November. It's Yarn Revolution, and it's outside of Seattle. And if she can get a posse to go with, she's down to go. So we should go, and we, you, and I should be. We could, we should represent the remedial knitters. <laughs> I have actually knit before. See, because uh, my my wife and daughter were like on a knitting kick for a while, and we also, and you know, I made like a scarf and a oddly shaped blanket. You know. while watching Die Hard or whatever but I did I did did try it (laughs) it's cathartic I like it I like it hey one other quick thing just again to go really quickly to go back to that thing about racism and the way that they're trying to change the definition this is just like a really obvious point but for some reason they never think of this you should question why a belief system any belief system any ideology you should question why an ideology would seek to convince you that it's okay to be sexist towards a specific sex right. or racist towards a specific race. Like why, what, what might possibly happen down the road as a result of that being normalized and justified and, and convincing you that it's impossible to do that. There's- I would actually also say anyone who, any, any belief system that is in the habit of changing definitions of things, there are, there are philosophies who will seek to clarify definitions. Um, and that's slightly different that we like, well, we already know that these are these things are this and these things are that, but there's some gray area. Let's clarify exactly what the essence of this thing is. And that's fine. Clarifying definitions is fine. But that's not what social justice does. They, they redefine things. That's why that person's like, oh, let me just enlighten you, Carrie. You may not understand, but the new definition of racism is <laughs> prejudice plus power. I'm like, no, no, no. That's a redefinition. That's not what racism is. That's what your critical theory professor wants you to think racism is, but that's not what racism is. Racism is already a defined term. And more than your critical theory professor, it, it is an ideology that wants you to believe that. Yes. And, and people, I think, sometimes have a hard time understanding how an ideology could be like a living thing that has to, I, it's that thing we talked about and that you talked about, Gracie, ideas outlive people. Okay, Marx is dead, but his ideas are out there. They're living, they're evolving things that people step into and a lot of these sjw's they're in it it's like a fish not seeing the water around them if you if you a lot of them have uh they'll laugh at you if you if you identify what their ideology is which is a form of marxism it's a form of it's identity politics based marxism if you call it out for what it is and you name it and you've actually taken time to look at it and say hey it's this other belief system but it's about identity and power and all this stuff Mm -hmm they will laugh a lot of times because they're in it and they're breathing it and they're living it and they don't even know. To them, it's like something new. It's like, oh, this is the way the world is. No, it's an ideology that has you in its grips. Yeah, I've seen them actually even try and ridicule the, the concept of cultural Marxism. They're like, that's not a real term. They just, it's just made up. It doesn't mean anything. And, but it's not, it's not Marxism. It's literally Marxism. Like the, the Frankfurt School, like it was founded by a Marxist. It's explicitly Marxism. Critical theory is explicitly Marxism. There's no, there's no like making that up. It's not an analogy. It's not a metaphor. It's like explicitly founded by Marxist and it's Marxist. It's like, it's a variation on Marxism. That's what it is. There's no debate. That's the facts of reality. It's Marxism. So this, this whole like, they just, they know Marxism is a bad word in the West. And so they want to distance themselves from it. But um, we should talk about what we actually our topic though. Maybe. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> I know. I feel like we can keep talking about this, but I do want to get to Go the ahead. topic because the topic is, I know it pissed you off. It pisses me off. Um, I'm just going to put this up right now. 
Here we go. Well, here's the thing about it. It's not just that it pisses me off. Uh, I'm actually happy that they're nakedly opposing free speech now. They're the same. They are now um, passionately and openly attacking the First Amendment the same way that they've been doing about the Second Amendment for a while. Yes. Yeah. And that is good, I guess, because um, <clears throat> they're blatant. But let's hope that they're also not convincing. And so instead of trying to censor this article <clears throat> and write to the New York Times to get this person fired and uh, try and what they would do. make sure they can't say anything, I'm just going to argue with them which is what I think they should be doing. So this was an opinion piece that came out. I think it was on Friday, actually, that came out. And in the New York Times, it's titled, Free Speech is Killing Us. And the subtitle is, Noxious Language Online is Causing Real-World Violence. What can we do about it? And the image here, for those listening, the image here is kind of weird. It looks like Rodin's The Thinker, but it's a statue. But it's on fire, and he's holding a megaphone in one hand. And... I actually don't know what the hell that symbolism is supposed to mean. Speaking, you're, you're, I don't know what the, is it burning thought to speak? I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Do you? I don't because I, I, think, it's, I think that image is as um, hard to understand, as is, is convoluted as, as his argument is. His argument is basically like, I'm not against free speech, but I'm against free speech. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, let's look at the title. Free speech is killing us. That's... We could say hyperbolic, possibly. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we've had free speech for quite some time, so why it's suddenly killing us is a mystery. Uh, I, guess, I guess his answer is interwebs. Um, I, I hate that as an answer. I, by the way, if your answer to crap that's, that's this, this, this deep in society is interwebs, you're not thinking deep enough. Well, it, it's like any other, any other uh, period in history. It's, you know, free speech is killing us because now we have the printing press. <laughs> yeah, damn Gutenberg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and the, the subtitle here is Noxious Language Online is Causing Real World Violence. What can we do about it? Now, I just want to point something out even already before we start, just with the subtitle. This is a denial of free will. So this is this idea that something causes something else that the person doing something, the person actually acting is, is not in control, but they're, it's causal. It's caused by someone else speaking something. Right. And I, I know that sounds a little bit nitpicky, but it's part of, it's actually related to the underlying crappy metaphysics that they have. It's, it's underlining a bad philosophy. So uh, something that you see on the left is they believe that people are, they, they don't seem to believe in free will often. They believe that people are just consequence of the things that happen to them all the time, which is why they believe you can take disparate populations, you can take a population from like with massively different culture or whatever, stick them in another population and suddenly they'll all automatically converts to being compatible with that population. Like, oh yeah, we're, oh, we're in the West now. We're not going to do female genital mutilation and like, oh, we're going to give up all that stuff because we're in the, like, it's this, it's idea that like people don't have their own thought process. They don't have their own free will and that, and people are just kind of able to be uh, manipulated anyhow that you want. And so it's the language that's causing violence. It's not that people are doing violence. 
the language is causing it. So the blame is now shifted to people who say things online. Okay, I have, can I interject here? Because yeah. I always like to relate things back. Kind of, it's like a hypocrisy check to make sure I'm not making these same arguments about SJWs or whatever. That's a great, great check. So I think there's a, a distinction here. Um, I believe that SJW ideology, like we were saying earlier, is a living kind of thing, an evolving thing in that it grips people. And I believe a lot of their, the language, let's talk about language in particular, they are obsessed with language and they're obsessed with controlling language and changing definitions because by controlling language, they can better shape and control your thoughts. And by yeah. controlling your thoughts, they can help you justify violence by dehumanizing other people. Yes. But here's the, let me just think through the difference here. Um, like this girl that I was arguing with, the, the SJW knitter, right? Um, she immediately started dehumanizing me off the bat by calling me a racist for no reason. You know, that's what they do. They, if they can put you in a camp of like, you were this horrible thing, which it is a horrible thing to be a racist. They don't realize they're the ones supporting the racist ideology. But anyway, um, she immediately starts dehumanizing. And I think that's part of that ideology is it's about controlling language because if you can control language, you can better control thought. And if you can control thought, you can um, encourage people to dehumanize others, which allows them to, you, to be pushed into violence. That's what you see with Antifa. They feel justified in the horrible, uh, you know, the horrible things that they do to people. Their horrible, atrocious behavior seems okay to them because of this, this way that they've been thinking. Um, I think the difference, though, is that I, I don't believe, I would never write an opinion piece in the New York Times. I don't believe that the answer to SJW ideology is to say we need to restrict people's free speech and restrict online forums and shut down SJW hubs of communication or, you know, I, that's a very real difference is like, I believe these things about that ideology, but I believe they have a right to speak their beliefs and to um, communicate them with others. And because I also, I ultimately believe their ideology is majorly flawed and it's evil. And I think, I think that it can be defeated with ideas and argumentation, not with censorship. And yeah. you give up and you give up everything you believe in if you support censorship. The, the, the distinction I would draw is I would say those bad ideas are the foundations upon which Antifa is like Antifa needs those ideas to exist in order to justify what they're doing. But those ideas aren't responsible for Antifa. They don't cause Antifa. If you're beating someone over the head with a bike lock, you did that. Yes. You did that. You yes. weren't caused to do that by your crappy Marxist professors. Yes, they're crappy Marxist professors. Yes, the idea is toxic and horrible. The ideas should be fought. The ideas should be argued with. The ideas should be criticized as being evil and toxic. You're still responsible for pulling the trigger. Yeah. That's the difference. Absolutely. Well, just like this guy, you're, I know you're about to get into it, but he tries to lay uh, Heather Hare, the Charlottesville, the girl that was run over by the car that was killed, he tries to lay that at the feet of ideas. Yes. And, 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 I'm, and I want to be clear, ideas do matter um, because obviously there are people who will be not strong enough to be exercising their free will to understand that ideas are bad and they are going to be influenced. Ideas do influence people and they do influence people to, call, to, to 
generate violence. That's true. Ideas can influence people, but they don't cause it. Mm-hmm. It's a minor distinction. I just want to be clear about it. Okay, so let's let's dive it dive in. <clears throat> so he starts Andrew Morantz. So he starts and he says, "There has never been a bright line between word and deed." Now, Carrie, I don't. I think there's probably a name for this fallacy that he's going to commit here, um, but I don't know what it is. So if someone knows what it is, tell me the. <clears throat> the fallacy that I, I, I just made up a name, it, I would call it something like the fallacy of omniscient categories. And this is the idea that because there are specific instances that sit on the edge between two different concepts, the concepts themselves should be, or that they're invalid or they should be questioned. So like the example is gender, right? Um, the intersex, there's like 0.018% of people actually intersex, right? And, but gender is very biologically and scientifically binary. There's like very clear, two clear bell curves and very little overlap. It's a, it's a clear bimodal distribution. But it's this idea that like, well, because there's a gray area, because there are some edge cases where we're not sure or it, it breaks the model in some little way on the edge, therefore the entire model is bunk. That's what he's about to do here. He's saying there's never been a bright line between word and deed, Okay. This is his saying, well, I mean, for most cases, there's a very bright line. Yes. If I call you a jerk, that's a word. If I shoot you in the face, that's a deed. That's a deed. We know the difference. There are some edge cases where if I, okay, again, I point a gun at you and I say, give me your wallet or I'll shoot you. Is that a word or a deed? Well, Maybe in that case, there's an edge case. And then you have to, that's when you have to start asking what the principle behind things is and why free speech is a principle and what I'm doing when I point a gun at you. I'm actually introducing violence into the situation. That's what makes it not okay. It's not my speech. It's that I'm introducing violence. It's a credible threat. If I point a squirt gun at you and you know it's a fake squirt gun and I say the exact same thing, it is free speech. It's the introduction of violence that makes it different. So... He has this, there's never been a bright line between the two. So he's starting off trying to sow confusion. And then he says, <clears throat> I, I know this is a, there's just so much here. <laughs> then he says, yet for years, the founders of Facebook and Twitter and 4chan and Reddit, along with consumers obsessed with these products and the investors who stood to profit from them, tried to pretend that noxious speech prevalent on those platforms wouldn't metastasize into physical violence. I just wanted, there's a few things about this sentence. He's saying obsessed, consumers are obsessed. He's using that as an insult because he knows that you probably use those platforms and he wants to give you an, like, an ability to distance yourself from the target. So you don't worry, you're not obsessed. But all these free speech advocates, they're just obsessed consumers, right? That's, he's going to paint us as just, we're not, we're not thinkers. We're not thinking about the consequences here. We're not putting our philosophical heads on and, and standing on principle. We're just obsessed consumers. And the investors... Profit. Profit's the evil word. It's used derisively, especially in the New York Times. It's evil and it's profit. And then they say, he says, tried to pretend that this wouldn't do this. So again, this is, we're being willfully ignorant. We're turning a blind eye to justice because of profits and our obsessions. That's what this- He's also, he's also, he's also building in a, uh, a conclusion that I don't share, that he doesn't offer evidence for whatsoever. That, which, is that, which is that noxious speech prevalent on those platforms metastasize, metastasize into physical violence. I don't view it that way at all. 
Right. Well, I mean, it, it can it can influence physical it violence. Can influence, but I don't physical violence. And and by the way, prevalent on those platforms. Like, when's the last time you went to one of these platforms and were like, "Oh my gosh, look at all the noxious speech." In fact, it's the other way. All I see is like, "Oh my gosh, look at all the people who get put in Facebook jail and banned for stuff that's like not that that they should not be." Yeah, the word prevalent is an interesting choice because it it makes it sound like it's all over the place, but it's not. It's not. And then he goes on, I won't read the, you know, in the early years, people used to associate this with the free Twitter executives here. Twitter executives referred to their company as the free speech wing of the free speech party. Sticks and stones and assault rifles could hurt us, but the internet was surely only a force for progress. And then he writes, no one believes that anymore. Now, this is weird because then he says, not after the social media fueled campaigns of, and he lists some politicians he doesn't like, an Indian politician, uh, a Filipino politician, Donald Trump. Heather Hare in Charlottesville, who was the one that was, was murdered in Charlottesville with a car. Not after the massacres in, synagogue, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh, Christchurch, New Zealand, Walmart shooter. So he lists all this stuff and he says, you know, we don't believe, we don't believe that it's free speech anymore. Wait a minute. There's a, there's a really, uh, look, at the, look at the people he left out. Well, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> he leaves out Antifa. And all of the all of the terrorism and violence in Antifa, all the leftist stuff, he right? Left he leaves out who's the guy that shot the Republican baseball the, games? The baseball game. He leaves that guy out. He leaves out the Ohio shooter because he was part of Antifa. Yep. He leaves out uh, all of the. He leaves out the Orlando thing, which was that guy was. Um, uh, he leaves out the ones that were motivated by Islamic, radical yep. Islamic beliefs. Yep. Cherry picking incidents of violence to try and support a narrative. Right. The other thing though, that he says, he's just like, no one believes that anymore. Not after these things. I, I, I'm not sure what the no one believes that anymore means. Maybe he's it's speaking the, for everyone. Maybe that's the internet is a force for progress. But if he's talking about free speech on Twitter, no one believes that anymore, but that's because of not after Megan Murphy, Gavin McGinnis, Tommy Robinson, Milo Yiannopoulos, Laura Loomer, Alex Jones, right? Candace Owens retweeted something that Sarah Jong, the, the racist social justice warrior, she tweeted something that had uh, that was disparaging its white people. Candace Owens retweeted it and changed the race and got banned from Twitter temporarily for that. So it's after that that we don't believe Twitter's about free speech. Not after this crap. That's the problem. But... All right, so he goes, he goes there, fine. Then he says, hey, I've been embedded in all this stuff. And let's see. Yeah, having spent this few years, blah, blah, blah. The question is where this leaves us. Noxious speech is causing tangible harm. So he hasn't made a case that it's causing tangible harm. I, you could make a case that it does influence harm, though. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's worth trying to argue that. Like, the rhetoric of the of mainstream media influences people's behavior. The rhetoric of the left influences people to do harm, just like the rhetoric on the right influences people to do harm. All of the rhetoric, yes, it does influence people. It doesn't cause it, but it does influence people. But then he says, namely, what should we do? Government, private companies, or individuals? So I just want to point something out about that. Um, the answer is what we well, first of all, the government shouldn't do anything because the government is very separate from private companies and individuals. Those are the government fundamentally, they're the people that can shoot you if you disobey. 
Private companies and individual citizens, they cannot. There's a distinct difference between those groups. So the government shouldn't do anything because any, the only thing the government really has the power to do is, is use force. That's what the government has the power to do. They can pass laws if you don't follow you use force. Everyone else can argue. They can argue and they should argue. No one's arguing that they shouldn't argue. They should. They should demonstrate if there's noxious speech, speech that's influencing people to do bad things, you should argue against it. No one's arguing that, you should, no one's saying you shouldn't argue against it. By the way, you need free speech to argue against it. But that's a separate issue. <laughs> so, all right. So then, but then this is, a, this is a lie. He says, namely, what should we do about it? Nothing, or at least that's the answer one, of, one often hears from liberals and conservatives alike. No, it's not the answer. No one says nothing. People say that government shouldn't do anything. They don't say you shouldn't do anything. This is the stupid, it's, it's just a, a low IQ conflation between the government and everything else. I, I'm sick and tired of the left and mainstream media doing this. The government not doing anything doesn't mean nothing happens. It means the government doesn't do it. There's a freaking difference between those two things. It doesn't mean nothing. Argue against it. Sit, talk about how Richard Spencer is a racist, horrible person and, and cite examples and give arguments. Fine. Fine. That's good. You should argue against that. That's not doing nothing. <sighs> I'm sorry. This is, I, it gets me pissed off. So, no, it gets me pissed off too. And this is in the paper of record, Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The gray lady. <laughs> um, okay. So some speech might be bad. This line of thinking goes, but censorship is always worse. The First Amendment is first for a reason. It's, that's, a, like a, that's like a snide little mockery, right? Okay. So then um, he says, okay. Then I wondered, so he, he talks about 4chan, after some 4chan, 8chan inspired massacres, blah, blah, blah. He's talking to a friend about, you know. Which, by the way, he just says that casually as if we're supposed to accept that as truth. After an 8chan inspired massacre, and you might ask, oh my gosh, which massacre was inspired by HN? He goes, I can't even remember which one, if I'm being honest. So he, not only does he not cite any evidence, he's also putting forth the idea that there's so many of them. I don't believe you, sir. Yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so he's talking with his friend in the coffee shop or acquaintance or whatever. And he's wondering, he says, then I wondered what steps should be taken. Now, this is, that's a vague statement. What steps should be taken? By whom? Yeah. It's a very nefarious statement, in my opinion. Yeah, it's weird. Immediate steps shall be taken, Carrie. Immediately, our conversation ran aground. No steps, he said. What exactly do you have in mind, thought police? He told me that he was a leftist, but he considered his opinion about free speech to be a matter of settled bipartisan consensus. So his friend is principled, and his friend is recognizing, hey, if you're going to start censor crap, you're going to end up with thought police. That's what that means. Um, so, okay. So this, this whole, this glosses over, I think he glosses over the fact that speech is connected to thought here. Um, and Carrie, you and I have talked about this, but it's worth just as an aside, it's worth a quick rehash. Um, <sighs> words are labels for concepts, right? You, 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 you build concepts from, your, you have your perceptions, you build concepts of concretes, you build abstractions on top of that. You have a hierarchy of knowledge, you have a, a, a model of the world. Words are labels that allow you to manipulate that mentally. If you delete a word, you delete access to a concept. So 
Um, <laughs> speech is incredibly important. Free, free speech is incredibly important for freedom of thought because if you can't say anything, even if it's wrong, because sometimes working out your thoughts require exploring avenues and realizing like backing up when you realize you've hit something that is contradictory or isn't working. If, you've, if those avenues are blocked off because words are blocked off, it actually affects your ability to think about those things. Um, now, obviously, you can still use them, you know, those words quietly at home because we're not actually in 1984 yet. But um, that's, that's, the, that's the, the consequence. Speech and thought are very, very, very closely related. Um, that's why in all the dystopian novels, like 1984, speech is controlled right? Speech is one of the first things people control. It's one of the first things that, you know, one of the first things totalitarian regimes do is set up propaganda arms and, and control the media, right? They want to control. And that's not just in dystopian novels. That's based on history. That's based right, on yeah, what's so happened. My second half was history, not necessarily. Right. Over and over and over. That's why I think these SJWs, it's like, they don't, they don't know anything about history. They know the bare minimum. And that's why they can't, they can't see that the role they're playing in things right now is not the one they, they pretend it is. Right. The other thing, just this is a, a subtle point, but censorship kind of implies, and you, yeah, but Carrie, you know this because you've said this a lot about the social justice ideology. Censorship implies that everything is settled and there's no debate to be had on an issue anymore, right? Because like, oh, you can't be allowed to say those things. You can't be allowed to think, can't be allowed to go down that direction of thought, can't be allowed to talk about those things, say those things, use those words. Why? It's settled. Those are wrong. That's settled. Right, which is an oddly absolutist position for someone who began this entire article with this idea that like, uh, well, there's actually no absolutes here because there's gray areas in between <laughs> right now. Now they're like, oh, there's no gray areas when it comes to hate speech. Okay. Yeah. I, I got you, buddy. And I see what you're- Who decides? Who and those, those things, that line keeps creeping. I mean, he, in this article, I know you're probably about to get to it, but he even- um, he talks about like, he talks about figures who are, are not hate figures, but he's accepted this narrative, this false truth, this fake news, this lie. Like he, he, he wraps Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones as like people who are deserving of being banned from the public square. Well, I don't agree with that at all. And, and I don't have to agree with everything Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones have said. I certainly don't. <laughs> but we live in an age where people like this, this loser who's writing this New York Times piece have so convinced us that we're guilty for defending the free speech of people that we disagree with that we feel like we have to, we have to make that caveat every time. Okay, well, here's the caveat. I don't agree with everything they've said. I don't even agree with most of what Alex Jones just said, I'm sure. But do they deserve to be banned from the public square? No. What have they done that, require, that, that demands that? What have they done that you can't one day be accused of? Right. Well, they, they wrong think is what they've done. So, yeah. So he says, then this, this sentence is obnoxious because he says, using free speech as a cop-out is just as intellectually dishonest and just as morally bankrupt. He, he, oh, sorry. He uses this example of like, you wouldn't say this about the Second Amendment. Right. You probably should. That's a separate topic for another day. But he's recognizing that leftists uh, have wiggle room on the Second Amendment, but they don't on the first. He's right that um, he's right that that's an inconsistent <laughs> stance. If you well, his, if, his if previous... it's based on if if your morals come from the amendments, if you say it's right because it's an amendment, it is a contradictory thing to 
not apply that to the Second Amendment. But that's not why it's right, first of all. And second of all, um, I, I think they are. The Second Amendment well, is important, so. Yeah, I agree. So I, I, you and I would probably be intellectually consistent on that, which is that, back up to that paragraph, when I had invoked the ubiquity of combat weapons in civilian life, what combat weapon, what combat weapons are you talking about? There's no military rifles in civilian life. There's no, the, the, the AR-15, they continually, this is a little trick of language they do. They want you to think that there's no difference between, and I was in an argument with a liar the other day who was telling me that the AR-15 was the same as, uh, uh, which one is it that they compare it to, the military one? Uh, M16? Yes, the M16. And he was like, I've carried an M16 in battle, and I also know what an AR-15 is. I was like, well, then great. You know that there is a very real difference between these two guns, being that one is fully automatic and one is semi-automatic. That's a huge factual difference that people like this guy try to just completely blow over as if it's, oh, combat weapons in civilian life. Oh, sure, that's a thing. It's not a thing. Right. This guy is, I mean, this guy is a liar. Um, and he does a lot of this, like, assuming that something's true. He just says it like, you know, he just, he just, he just says things as if they're true. So, and this is one, right? It's a cop-out and intellectually dishonest to, to say free speech. Now, the, the right thing is, it, you know, this is, again, he's trying to disparage people who are principled. This guy hates principles, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, but he, he's trying to make principles sound like a bad thing, like sticking to principles. SJWs, they typically, I'm not saying he is, but he's definitely, he's some type of authoritarian. He wants to be able to control people. There's a desire in his dark little heart to control people. Um, they don't put principles, we've talked about this before, they don't put principles above ideology. They put their ideology above principles. Right, right. So then he goes on. For one thing, the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. Even the most creative reader of the Constitution will not find a provision guaranteeing Richard Spencer a Twitter account. Now, look, first of all, he's the one who lumped government in with private companies individuals earlier. <laughs> like, he's the one who conflated those. Like, the reader hasn't conflated those. Other people aren't conflating those. This is his conflation, and now he's picking it apart as if he's making an argument. Well, you're the idiot who conflated government and private companies in the first place. But also, as he points out, the issue with Twitter, he actually points this out by, by mistake earlier. To quote something he says earlier, it's up here. He writes, let me find it. <clears throat> Twitter executives referred to their company as the free speech wing of the free speech party. The problem with Twitter is not that they want to have, quote, censorship or rules about what you can and can't say on the platform. The problem is that they are doing so by fraud. It's false advertising. They built their platform saying that they were about free speech and there wasn't censorship. And now that they've made money and pulled people in and done the hardest thing you can possibly do building a social media company, which is get critical mass, now that they've got critical mass and are in a market position to make it very difficult for competitors, now they are violating their promise to their early users, to all their users, that they were about free speech. That's the problem with Twitter. Anyone, there's no, I don't think even free speech advocates, I don't think anyone would argue that you can't build a company from the ground up saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to censor all Republicans and all, anything to do with Trump or anything like whatever we like. We're a censorship platform. That's what we do. Come on and join. 
But they yeah. wouldn't hit critical mass. Very likely they would not have reached the level that Twitter has. Twitter did this by lying. That is the problem with Twitter. So, yeah, so the, the other thing here is that I want to make another, uh, I think this is important to note, and we've talked about this before. He says using free speech is a cop-out. Uh, as, yep. as a cop-out, it's just as intellectually dishonest and just as morally being. Well, first of all, it's not a cop-out. It's truly what I believe. And he's trying to limit the idea of censorship and free speech as simply to what is legal, what is already illegal or legal. He's, he's, he's trying to limit it to the government. So he, that's what people do. We see this all the time where people say, well, uh, private companies can do what they want. Private companies can censor who they want. Yes, they can. It's legal. I get that. I support that. I still think it's morally wrong and ethically wrong. Sometimes people on the left have a hard time distinguishing between what's legal and what's moral because they, at least the radical leftists, they so want to, like the radical people on the radical right, they have this in common. Fundamentalists want the law to reflect their own moral and ethical beliefs. Yeah, that's called authoritarianism. That's called authoritarianism. And so they go, well, it's not, it's not legal. Therefore, I mean, it's not uh, illegal to ban uh, Alex Jones from Twitter. Therefore, it's ethical and moral. No, it's not. I think it's, I think it's unethical. And I think we are starting to see, um, you know, the, we just read the books, uh, Brave New World and 1984 for Unsafe Space Book Club. And so those are fresh on my mind a lot. And it's like, you know, all the only thing that Orwell got wrong or that he couldn't foresee was big social and big tech ha- having so much control over our lives and having so much control over the public sphere. And the fact that the censorship would come from that area. So it, it is very concerning to me how much ability they have to censor us. And just because it's not coming from the government yet, and it will, because we've already seen that the government is working with Facebook and other social media companies in other countries, other governments are working with them. Right, so of course. Of course. This, people like this New York Times writer wants to do away with, he wants to chip away at the concept of free speech and try and limit it to this very tiny thing um, and it's like, no, I believe in free speech generally, broadly. I don't like it when social media companies censor people because of their political beliefs. Do I yeah. think they have a right to? Yes. Do I, but do I think it's good? No, I think it's awful. Yeah, I, I would say, I don't know. I'm, uh, I, might, I might part ways with you a little bit on that and just be like, I'm not sure I would morally, if a, if a company said from the beginning, we're censoring whatever it is, even if it's stuff that I agree with or whatever, this is, this if is they said platform. from the beginning. And, yes. And I would be like, well, that's not, I don't have a moral problem with, that. I don't agree with you, but I don't have a big moral problem with clearly laying the ground rules for how participating in this community. Yes. Is. That's fine. I, we actually agree, Carter. Okay. If they said that from the beginning, but what they've done is they've pretended to be, um, they've pretended to be non-biased. And even now, even now, as they are, participating in vast censorship of wrong thinkers across all these different platforms, YouTube, Facebook, um, Google, as they're participating in this, they're still pretending to be non-biased. That's what really gets my goat. It's like they're having, they're saying, well, we're not engaging in censorship. These are figures of hate. Right. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, so then he says, let's see. Then he says, uh, but even if you see social media platforms as something more akin to a public utility, not all speech is protected under the First Amendment anyway. And then he cites libel, incitement of violence, and child pornography. He says these are forms of free speech, but we, uh, 
we censor them all and no one calls us calls it the death knell of enlightenment. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out about this, these couple sentences here. First of all, this is again this um, <clears throat> weird argument about uh, kind of like this gray area. It's, it's, it's weird. It's put in the First Amendment first, right? The First Amendment isn't the, isn't the definition of free speech and it's not where free speech comes from. So he's like, um, hey, but, but even if it were, if it's like, hey, the First Amendment, we violated a little bit in these places, therefore, it's, it's, we can violate it whenever. So if we accept, if we accept his argument, I, we, I don't think we do violate it in the cases he lists, but, but let's assume for a minute he's correct and this is a violation. That doesn't make it okay. That's like saying, well, well, we compromised on this value once, therefore, it's an illegitimate value and we're willing to compromise. No, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have compromised. Maybe we should re-examine that. Now, in the cases that he gives here, and, and by the way, there are, I think, examples where we should re-examine compromise of the First Amendment that we have done. But the examples he gives here, I don't think uh, fit. So libel, right? I mean, maybe you could make an argument that libel shouldn't be censored, um, but it would be like handled by the private market and publications would lose credibility for libel. Yeah, I can see that argument. That's an argument I would be willing to have. That's a fine argument willing to have. But the fact that it's libel is not protected doesn't mean that the concept is invalid. And it doesn't mean that we should just, you know, slippery slope, just do whatever we want with the First Amendment. That's a, that's a contentious topic. Incitement of violence. So this is... Incitement of violence is, um, and actually both incitement of violence and child porn, they're, all, they're both censored for the same reason. It's because they introduce violence into human relationships. That's what they do. So incitement is like a, it's only enforced, as my understanding, is a very strict, specific case, right? It needs to be a credible threat. It needs to be re like a reasonable person needs to think it's cred credible. So if I, if I write to carry online, ha ha, I'm going to kill you because she did something I didn't like. That's not credible. It's not a credible threat. I can't get in trouble for actual violence, right? But if I point a gun at Carrie and say, I'm going to kill you if you don't do X, Y, and Z, that's a credible threat. I've introduced violence into this situation. So that's what incitement of violence is introducing violence in a very real, uh, in a very real way where a reasonable person would say, yeah, that's clearly telling someone to commit a violent crime. That's what that is. It's pointing a gun. It's telling them, go kill this person, whatever it is. That's, that's what that is. So that's why, that's why it's not protected. So is child porn. And child porn is like, we, like he started this at the beginning about between a word and a deed. Child porn is a deed. It is an evil, violent deed. Right. So that's, again, child porn is censored because it's evidence of a violent act. Children can't consent, right? And possession of this child, child porn is considered being an accomplice, right? A specific violent act has occurred and the person who's got the child porn or whatever they're an accomplice in that act. That's why it's legal. That's why, right? But interestingly enough, saying, uh, this is going to get clipped and it's going to, people are going to use it the wrong way, but <laughs> saying the words, I like child porn, that is protected free speech. You can say that. It's vile and you're a disgusting individual, but you can say it. That's protected speech, but you can't have it because that crosses over into violence. So he's acting like this is like, hey, the whole thing's fuzzy anyway, let's just throw the concept out. No one's, no one's complaining about this threatening the enlightenment because we threw the concept out in these cases. No, we didn't. This is the importance of having an understanding of where these values come from, right? Is there a, is there a fall logical fallacy called baby with the bathwater fallacy? Because that's what this is. <laughs> 
I think there probably is. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not as up on my logical fallacies as I used to be back in the day. It's been a while since I, I took formal logic classes. All right, so then he goes on. Free speech is a bedrock value in this country. Okay, so this is, okay. This is actually getting into some philosophy, so I have to stop and talk about it. So he says, free speech is like, is a bedrock value in this country, but it isn't the only one. Like all values, it must be held in tension with others, such as equality, safety, and robust democratic participation. Now, Kerry, he referenced the Enlightenment earlier. What he's writing here, that is not an Enlightenment approach to values. It's not the philosophic perspective that founded the U.S. A, a central theme in Enlightenment, in Enlightenment philosophy, was the recognition of natural law. Natural law is universal. It's pre-political, so it exists before the establishment of a country. It's a moral standard that governs individuals and, and governments. It is a, it is a, um, a priori moral system not dependent on government. What he's saying here, this, this sentence, this sentence really irks me philosophically. Uh, this like uh, all values, it must be held in tension with others. That's what's called pragmatism. It's the pragmatism of William James. It's pragmatism. It's the idea that you can pick a bunch of so-called values or principles, and then you just like juggle them. You perform a juggling act, and you hope none of them drop. That is not. That is not a principled Western civilization approach to values, and that is what's killing us. By the way. That is one of the, I mean, I know, I know this is hyperbolic because it's philosophy and that, that idea is killing us. The idea that there's just a bunch of values randomly or arbitrarily and we just have to balance them. That's not true. That is bad philosophy. Values are hierarchical. The free, the free speech is a corollary to the, your, your ownership, your self-ownership. Free speech is a, is a corollary to your right to life. It's not a separate value floating over here, and then there's other value here that we balance. Values are hierarchical, and free speech is based on your right to life. It's your right to your own life. It's a corollary. This is not how you approach values in a, in a rational, philosophic manner. This is how a crappy pragmatist who's got an agenda, uh, that's how they approach values. They use values however they want and push them in the direction that they want, and they just let there be contradictions. They don't care. They don't care about the country. And, and I like that he says, you know, what about speech that pushes us towards a form of totalitarianism? Like, oh, like, like, like your, your opinion piece? <laughs> <laughs> like your piece here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but how, then, but how self-deluded is this guy that he doesn't even realize that? about his weird, right? It is weird. It's like your own piece, dude, is pushing us towards totalitarianism. And you don't even see that. Yep. And he cites a couple things. What about speech that's designed to drive a woman out of her workplace, bully a teenager into suicide, or drive a democracy toward totalitarianism? Right? Navigating these as thorny as trade-offs among core principles are. Core principles don't get traded off. If you're trading off core principles, it means you do not have a rational, hierarchical understanding of where your principles fit in with reality. Um, but anyway, but I can actually, we go through these, like, Driving a woman out of her workplace, this is probably going to be controversial, what I'll say. Uh, well, first of all, it still assumes no free will, like we said before. So it assumes that mean words drive people out. So and, it, and it assumes that women, or that we are somehow uh, different from men such that we need to be protected from any type of uncomfortable speech or uncomfortable situation is too much for us to bear. That right. we have 
like what what about speech is designed to drive them? I know we've all had coworkers that we've been less than charitable towards because we were hoping they would leave or quit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. like is that now of uh, women need to be protected from that? There have been people who've treated me like crap hoping I would leave. Yep. yep. <laughs> and look, in a in a in a moral society, interaction between individuals is voluntary, and that includes that includes interaction between the, the company and employees. And, you know, in a free society, in a, in a moral society, we allow those interactions from a government perspective, we allow those interactions to be free, right? The only alternative is that someone, Carrie, someone would have to decide what was the intent behind, okay, Carrie was, was being mean to someone, Carrie was using language to drive someone out. Is it because she's a woman? Why yeah, was Carrie to, doing it? You have to have intent and it's, yeah. Yeah, you have to build like an all-powerful bureaucracy. Like in, you have to build a bunch of, like a bunch of bureaucrats policing every interaction and they're supposed to decide what your motivations are according to some standard, right? So in a free society, a government actually allows you to drive a woman out of her workplace through language. That's allowed, but only at the government level. Companies can still decide what's appropriate or not. Companies can still say that behavior is not acceptable and that's fine. You, you can't work here if you have that behavior, but the government doesn't get involved. In a moral society, guns don't enter the picture. Okay, just really quickly explain uh, what you mean. But I know we have to explain it every, just in case we have new viewers. When he means guns don't enter, enter the picture, what Carter's saying is that the only way the government would enforce that, that would be at the butt of a gun. Force always implies someone in the room in the the room is holding a gun. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I know we have a lot of new viewers, and I, sometimes I just say things. Uh, my contention is. Well, I think I don't think that this is really arguable. Government, by definition, is a monopoly on force. That's what government. That's what makes government different from Microsoft or Apple or Google. Those companies can't throw you in jail. We haven't given them as a society. We haven't given them power of a police force with guns that are allowed to go arrest you and if you resist, shoot you and put you in jail. That's been granted as a society to the government. They have a monopoly on force. That's, that's what government is. So when you pass a law or you say, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to do this or shouldn't be allowed to do that, what you're saying is if someone does it, they should be in violation. If they refuse to submit to whatever the court orders them to do or whatever the, the consequences of that are, men with guns should show up and forcibly remove them. And if they resist, they will get shot. That's the essence of a government. That's what a government is. What about women with guns, Carter? I'm right. joking. Or women with guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I say men with guns a lot. It is mostly men <laughs> that, uh, that you're relying on to enforce these rules. But, okay, so then, then there's the bullying the teenager. Again, um, assumes no free will, but also I would say, Look, private schools, private companies, they can have rules about private clubs. They can say what you can and can't say to each other as kids, and, and you can have rules about that. But my favorite is the one that you brought up, Carrie. It's, uh, I'll highlight it here. It's your, I mean, to drive a democracy towards totalitarianism. I mean. Well, then if that were against the law, none of the New York Times, none of these opinion pieces, none of these SJW journalists would be around anymore. Yeah, and you know what? I look. I, I uh, 
as a voluntarist, so I'm someone who only believes in voluntary interactions. I'm against them. I'm a, uh, I'm a for the non-aggression principle. I'm against the initiation of the use of force in any and all cases. It's very simple. Now, this, this sentence to me is really rich, Carrie, because as a voluntarist, any proposal to tax or regulate or anything involves, as we just explained, the initiation of the use of force. And so, um, <laughs> by this logic, anyone who argues for a law I don't like, you uh, need to be censored because you're driving the democracy towards violation of my rights. You're driving it towards totalitarianism. I view that as totalitarian. It's a form, it's a mild version of totalitarianism. So driving, what he's saying is driving the democracy to use force in a way that he doesn't like, that's bad. Hey, I live in this country and you guys have all voted for crap using force that I don't like all the time. I don't get to, I don't get to claim that I can censor you. You don't like this. This is a clearly partisan thing. Right. It's just it that's got that's got thought police and political manipulation written all over it. How do you know if some of a comment is driving democracy towards totalitarianism? I thought Obama used too many executive orders. I thought he bombed too many people every Tuesday with his drone strikes. There's a lot of crap that I think you people have done. Can you want me to argue that that's driving towards totalitarianism? Suddenly everything's censored. This is a stupid sophomoric argument. Sorry. Okay. Carrie, Carrie is, uh, are you getting tired of my ranting? I can't help it, Carrie. I get very no, excited. No, I, like I like your ranting. I was just muted for a second. I get very, I get very excited. Okay. Okay, so then, then, then he goes on to, he cites like a Rwandan thing where the U.S. didn't jam radio signals and therefore maybe the genocide happened that wouldn't have happened. This is just a straw man crappy argument because this is a question of foreign policy, not a question of free speech. It's like, should we violate their free speech or not? Like, yes, it would be violating their free speech to, to interfere. Should they have done that? That's a foreign policy question. It's not a question about our own citizens. It's an it's a, it's a argument that doesn't belong here. Um, but then, so Kerry, actually this point got me interested because then he says, I'm not calling for repealing the First Amendment or even banning speech I find offensive on private platforms. So I'm like, oh, wow. So what is he doing? He's like, yes, he is, like, but go oh. ahead. <laughs> he says he's not. So I'm like, all right, well, this is, this is interesting. And he says, okay, well, we can protect unpopular from speech from government interference while also admitting that uh, unchecked speech exposes us to risks. We can take steps to mitigate those risks. So now I'm intrigued because I'm wondering, okay, what does he mean? By the way, just to reiterate, uh, freedom of speech does not come from the First Amendment. But All right, here we go. <sighs> he says, the Constitution prevents us from using sticks, but it says nothing about carrots. Congress could fund a national campaign to promote news literacy, or it could invest heavily in li library, I'm sorry, uh, library programming. <laughs> it could build a robust public media in the mold of the BBC. Carrie, as you pointed out the other day to someone who said, hey, you have an agenda. All reporting has an agenda. It all has an agenda. And if you use taxpayer money to push an agenda, that agenda is going to be palatable to the bureaucracy, which means that it will implement a pro-bureaucracy, big government. That will be the agenda. So that's what you get with the BBC. 
That's what you get with NPR, and that's what you would get here. But he's a leftist. He wants big government. So it's a yes. great idea for him. Like, hey, can you fund more of this lefty crap? He wants okay. totalitarianism. He wants to be run by the state. He want, Like, like uh, somebody, a friend pointed this out to me about the, if you look at, take a look at what the BBC has become, it is simply a propaganda arm. And so is the CBC in Canada, up in Canada. Right. And we, and, and he's basically like, let's just, why don't we just get a propaganda arm, guys? Right. Like it's not the media itself is already propaganda. Trust me, Carter and I have talked about the what we call the cathedral, the blue, the blue cathedral, the legacy media. Enough. Uh, if that's not clear to you that all you're watching is straight up propaganda, then you're you've been had. <laughs> like, but um. But, so basically, but, he's going to use your money to fund uh, ideologies you don't like and give his friends jobs. That's that's his proposal. Um, and then he says it could rethink Section 230 of the CDA. Now, just if you guys don't know. The Communications Decency Act is basically a law that says that if you're just a carrier um, and you're not editorializing, you're not you're not um, picking and choosing what content goes on your platform, then you're not um, you're responsible for libel and that kind of thing because you didn't edit it. It's not it's not your thing. So like if the New York Times publishes libel, they're responsible for it theoretically. Um, but if someone on Facebook posts libel, Facebook's not responsible. Now, just to be clear, he's saying, hey. We should rethink this. It allows Facebook and YouTube to get away with the glorification of murder, right? <laughs> okay, let's rethink this. That would mean that AT&T would be responsible for anything you said over your freaking phone. Like, this is a, it's a very important carve-out. You need people to be able to provide services where people can communicate, and the person providing the service is not responsible for what's being said. Now, as a caveat, as an aside, I personally think that Facebook and YouTube are already in violation of section 230 of the CDA. I think they're in violation of it because I think they are editorializing. They are censoring and editing. And that will be an interesting question moving forward. If someone sues and, and wins successfully on that, um, then, then great. But he's proposing here from what I can tell is like getting rid of section 230 somehow or making Facebook and YouTube liable for if the Christchurch shooter goes and posts a live stream video, suddenly the platform that he's using uh, is the libel? Why not the GoPro that he used, or like the the cell network that it went over, or the people who make the routers, or like you know the guy who dug the ditch to put the telephone pole up? All of, like there's no end to this crap. So then he says, if Congress really so, I guess the the BBC is not enough. If Congress really wanted to get ambitious, it could fund a rival to compete with Facebook or Google. The way the Post Service. <laughs> Completes with FedEx and the UPS. Um, well, first of all, that is unconstitutional. Just point that out, but not that he cares. Um, uh, I, I actually don't think that's a bad analogy. I think if they came up with a rival Google, it would compete similar to how the Postal Service competes. The Postal Service <laughs> is a, a bloated, crappy, money-losing service that everyone hates and they use begrudgingly only because the government has given them monopoly on mailboxes. So FedEx isn't allowed to drop stuff in your mailbox. If they were, FedEx would charge a lot less and start sending envelopes all around. So that's the kind of crap. You'll get increased prices and crappy service and distort the market and prevent new entrants. So that, that's really ambitious. This is called central planning. This is called communism. That's but also, I mean. here's the thing. He's already acknowledged there's a difference between certain types. The government can't censor certain things that private companies can. So, 
so I actually think I don't, I don't want to. How would this work? Right. I don't want a propaganda Facebook, but let's say there was a government Facebook. They, they wouldn't be able to get away with banning all these people that they have because the First Amendment would be what's in charge of that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's an interesting point. It's not private anymore. So actually, yeah. if they tried to do that, they would not be able to ban anyone. He would be more upset. He would be like, look at all these <laughs> Yiannopoulos running around on the government Facebooks, guys. <laughs> he also says, look, hey, also the private sector could do this on their own. Tomorrow, Mark could make Facebook slightly less profitable and enormously less immoral. How Facebook's immoral, other than that they lied to you, I'm not sure, but... Uh, he could hire thousands more content moderators and he doesn't like Sheryl Sandberg, I guess. And he wants a human rights lawyer there and blah, blah, have blah. You read, have you read all these uh, exposés about the content moderators at Facebook and how they want, all want to kill themselves? No. It's it awful. Bad? It's awful. We should do a whole episode on that sometime. Just about the stuff they have to read and watch and censor. And yeah. Well, I mean, the thing I want to point out here is the private sector can do this. Uh, Mark could do this if you want. Now, I th again, I think Facebook is already uh, committing fraud. Uh, they've already... It's already false advertising, but, and you know, he could start a company tomorrow. He could start a private Facebook doing all these things, these wonderful things that he wants. All right. So then he says, uh, he, he talks about, so he brings up, he, like you mentioned, he throws Alex Jones and Milo in there, like saying, Hey, yay, they banned them. That's great. But he, he also says, say why he also says Facebook could hire basically what sounds like an SJW. Facebook could hire an SJW to make all these important decisions. Right, they could, and, and, a, and a team of more SJWs, yeah. Yeah. Review your content. We could, Facebook could hire a wrong think department. I know, uh, we could call it Thought Police. Okay, yeah. so, so then he starts quoting this guy from the ACLU, John Powell, who, back when the ACLU was good, yeah. he actually represented the KKK in federal court. He says racists should have rights. But then he says, I also know being black and having black relatives that it, what it means to have a cross burned on your lawn, it makes no sense for the law to be concerned about one and ignore the other. So just to be clear, it is illegal to walk onto someone's private property and burn a cross, cross on, their, um, on their lawn. So the law That's, isn't concerned with one, but not the other. Right. The law is concerned with both. You're presenting a false narrative here. You're pretending like the law is not concerned with them. This is, a, by the way, as an aside, and I know a lot of viewers know this, but the ACLU has lost its way. Like as of, uh, there was a lot of internal fighting. It's basically been taken over by SJWs. Do you think the knitting community has been converged upon? The ACLU has been converged upon and the people running it now are not concerned with civil liberties. They are not concerned with free speech. They are concerned with SJW ideology. Right. They've even, they've even, there've been leaked memos that, uh, you know, uh, that have pointed this out. There've been, you just look at everything that they post on their Twitter since then and look at this guy and how he's turned around, which is basically like, um, yeah, we shouldn't be, what, scroll back up to the beginning of that paragraph. Again, I love it when people contradict themselves so openly. We need to protect the rights of speakers, but... <laughs> what about protecting everyone else from listening to them? From listening to them? What does that mean? They don't have to listen to them. Milianopolis yeah. can come to your college. You can sit at home in your college dorm. Right. This is that crappy pragmatism again. And he's saying that like speech, he's conflating speech with marching onto someone's proper, private property and burning a cross. Which he's is conflating it with violence, yeah. Illegal. Which right? is why you see all these like wimpy little college kids who are have either been indoctrinated by SJWs or themselves have become SJWs who run around talking about harm because somebody's come Ben Shapiro's coming to speak at my campus. Oh my goodness. Who cares? Organize your own speaker. Don't go see him. Right. But what you are doing is trying to censor him and trying to prevent 
not just his free speech, prevent him from speaking in a public forum that he was booked to speak at. You're also trying to prevent my right to hear who I want to hear. Not that well, I want to hear if him. You think he's, if you think he's so bad and, and horrible, uh, invite him to debate one of your superstars that you think can crush him publicly. And he'd probably say yes. Yeah, he'd say yes, but see, you won't invite him to debate, to debate someone because you don't like debate. You don't actually like engaging. SJWs don't actually like engaging with ideas. They can't. Right. So then he goes on, Mr. Powell, this is the uh, ACLU guy. Mr. Powell, in other words, is a free speech advocate, but not a free speech absolutist. I just want to pause on that. Um, they're using this word absolutist to make it sound like your position is unreasonable. So a different way to word this would be he's, he's a free speech advocate but he's not principled on the issue yes exactly i was going to say uh he is uh, not principled instead of being principled right right so um what you know and then he says then he gives this example shortly before his tenure as a legal director he said when women complained about sexual harassment in the workplace the aclu's response would be sorry nothing we can do harassment is speech which by the way is principled it's not it's not nice but it's principled and then he says, that looks ridiculous to us now, as it should. No. So there's the story of the ACLU's uh, descendant into like losing their, their, their way, losing principles. It is speech. Doesn't mean she can't go to HR. It doesn't mean that the company should accept it. The company can say, look, that may be free speech, but not here. You can't harass our employees. You're fired. Right? That's fine. But not the government's job. Not the government's job. Not the government's job. And... Uh, yeah, this to me, this is the ACLU in a nutshell. They have lost their purpose and their way, and they're now beholden to SJW ideology. And if 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 free speech and civil liberties and individual rights, which is what they used to be all about, if that is butting heads with SJW ideology, they're going to pick SJW ideology, and they're not going to fight for free speech anymore. And, 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 and you see that. You see that in individual cases that they're no longer taking, and you also see that in um, positions that they're making publicly. And this is the problem with bad philosophy, where you don't understand where those rights come from. You don't have them integrated into a higher system. You just have a pragmatist approach. You you look at this SJW moralizing, and you look at free speech, and you don't know which one to choose. And so you choose SJWism because why not? It's it's popular. So. So then he says, this, is, this also bothers me. This guy, this guy was a, a lawyer who, who argued in front of the Supreme Court, it seems like, or federal court, uh, argued in federal court. He thinks that some aspects of our current First Amendment jurisprudence, blanket protections of hate speech, for example, will also seem ridiculous in retrospect. Quote, it's simpler to only think about the First Amendment and to ignore, say, the 14th Amendment, which guarantees full citizenship and equal protection to all Americans, including those who are harmed by hate speech, he said. It's simpler, but it's also wrong. So I just want to clarify. The 14th Amendment does not mention hate speech. It sounds like maybe it does when he quotes it. There's no hate speech in the 14th Amendment. And to be clear, I can get out my little pocket 14th Amendment here. He's only talking about the end of Section 1. It's the only thing that could possibly be relevant. And it says, uh, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. That's what he's talking about. So that is not, hey, uh, <laughs> you have a right to not be offended or anything that's not, that counters the political, the, you know, the agenda of the left is, is considered harmful, right? It's not 
this is not, it doesn't mean the law, that, that equal protection part of the 14th Amendment clearly means the law shouldn't apply differently to some people than to others. It doesn't authorize the government to protect anyone from being insulted or demeaned or ridiculed or belittled or even hated. That's not what that means. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what he's saying, which is, hey, let's treat some people differently. Like yes. women, women need to be protected in a way that men aren't. Yes. So then, then the author's like, hey, I have to confess, I used to agree with the guy I met in the coffee shop, but now I've seen the light because, I don't know, maybe he dated a leftist. I, who knows? So he, but he, this, I just want to point out this paragraph when he, when he does this. He's just trying to appeal to you like, hey, I'm just like you, but then I got educated about it, the whole thing. And you know, <laughs> now, now I'm, you know, now I understand that principal positions on free speech are bad. Um, By the way, can we go back to his original thing that he said he embedded himself in this darkness of, you know, Reddit and whatever, and, and that people have no free will. And if they're surrounded by these, this, these noxious views that they'll just succumb to doing violence, why was he immune? Right. He says, having spent the past few years embedding as a reporter with the trolls and bigots and propagandists who are experts <laughs> at converting fanatical memes into national policy. So your objective yeah, <laughs> that's so, sarcasm. Yeah, sorry, that was that was uh, bad sarcasm. So yeah, so so he goes and he's he's trying to appeal to you here by saying like, hey, um, but but he but he implies he he says, look, um, he's saying that having a principled position on free speech allowed him to ignore a lot to pretend that anything was invisible to me, either wasn't happening. Or it didn't matter. Well, that's your own self-delusion, dude. Like, I'm a free speech absolutist, which is not a dirty word. It means I'm, I try You're to principled. be principled. You're principled. I try to be principled about my beliefs and not be a hypocrite. And, and so I'm a free speech absolutist. And that doesn't mean that I'm ignoring things or pretending things aren't happening. Like, why were you living in denial? That has nothing to do with your stance on free speech. Yeah. And, and I would say that's an indictment of you. Like, it doesn't mean bad things aren't happening or, or things aren't happening that, that, that matter. It means you can't, it, it means the government can't censor speech. You can argue against those bad things. If you think those trolls and propagandists are bad, make an argument against them, which you haven't, by the way. You just said it. Make a freaking argument. I know that's hard for you to make an argument. I know it's very difficult to get a paycheck from the New York Times and understand how to make any kind of an argument, but try and make one. God. All right. So finally, you get to the end. Finally, Carrie. And he, he says, Mr. Powell compared harmful speech to carbon pollution. People are allowed to drive cars, but the government can regulate greenhouse emissions. The private sector can transition to renewable energy resources. Civic groups can promote public transportation and cities can build seawalls to prepare for rising ocean levels. We could choose to reduce all of that to a simple dictate. Everyone should be allowed to drive a car and that's that. But doing so would stop the waters from rising around us. Um, okay, first of all, it's not, free speech isn't a dictate. It's a derivable corollary to the, the philosophic principle that you own your own life. It's not a dictate. Um, and, and second, let's just, first, first of all, actually, Carrie, as someone who thinks that climate alarmism is based on bullcrap, I actually think this is a great analogy. Um, because, uh, yes, it is like carbon pollution. Uh, a lie. I mean, there is carbon pollution, but like the whole alarmist aspect of it is is bullcrap but but 
And, and by the way, just as a reminder, Obama just bought a $15 million waterfront mansion uh, uh, in Martha's Vineyard. So I don't think he's worried about the sea, wall, the sea levels rising. Um, but even if climate, even if all the climate alarmism is warranted, and this is totally, totally warranted thing, so there's just, I'll accept all of the environmentalism for right now. This analogy fails for a simple reason that carbon would be doing, in that case, carbon would be doing actual damage. It would be the initiation of force against other people. The whole point of free speech is, is like one of the fundamental things about free speech is the recognition that words are not tangible physical objects that harm people. They don't initiate force against other people. They are words. That's the difference between speech and carbon or any other element on the periodic table or combination thereof. That's not what speech is. <laughs> the First Amendment doesn't protect your right to throw rocks, acid, or other crap. It Correct. That's your right to throw words. That's all. They That's don't get all this. It is. Again, they don't get this because SJW ideology has been working very hard at conflating speech with actual physical violence and deeds for a while now. That's why this guy's having trouble discerning between the two because remember, this is the same ideology that tells you throwing milkshakes at people is cool. I've had yes. fights with, not fights, okay, arguments with words with well-intentioned SJWs who really cannot see the difference between speech and, and physical force. Right. And they think, they think speech, on the one hand, they think speech like Milo Yiannopoulos saying that feminism is cancer. They think that's violence. And they think hitting someone in the face with a milkshake is words. By the way, he did call, he did compare free speech to cancer in this article. Just as a... Yeah. Anyway, but, but the point being, they look at speech that they don't like and they say that's violent. They look at violence, actual violence, but that they like it, they like it, then it's just speech. Right. And, and just to be clear, that is... That is inevitable with this ideology. It's part of the metaphysics built into the Frankfurt School philosophy is um, it rejects the uh, primacy of existence. It also rejects primacy of consciousness and has this kind of third thing, but that's not the point. Primacy of existence, I've explained this before. Primacy of existence is kind of what you live by normally. It's the kind of de facto normal metaphysics that you accept in order to not walk off the roof of a building and expect to not die, to, you know, fall to your death, right? This is the, 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 the idea that the world is real and there are real objects out there that can be, uh, you know, objectively determined or, you know, that, that is thrown out completely. And their, their ideology rejects that on a, on a philosophical metaphysics level, they reject that. And there's a reason they reject it, Carrie. I think you can, I, I, we haven't talked about this, but why would an ideology want to blur the line between speech and violence? There's only one reason. Well, I know why they want to do it. I've written about this before. They want you, they want you to be able to justify actual violence. Yeah, they want to use force. They want That's to why. use violence. They want to use force. And if you can't tell the difference, well. Yeah, the best so, way to let them use force is to eradicate the difference between words and violence. That's what they do. And I wrote, there's an essay I wrote. Uh, it's on the Unsafe Space website. It's, I think it was the we one called... We can link to it if you want. Yeah, it was called SJWism, Emotion and Free Speech. I think that was the title of it. But it was about this. It was about how they conflate the two. And they want to be able to justify um, violence in their minds as a form of self-defense because, because if they view your words and your opinions that they don't like as violence, then they can feel morally justified in actually physically hurting you. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I have, I have something that then you can have a, you can build a violent state and I want to share two things. Okay. I'm not going to go through this whole article because this is a long kafefi already, but everybody should look up this reason article. The New York times says free speech is killing us, but violent crime is lower than ever. The 2018 United crime report contained bad news for pessimists, but good news for everybody else. And it basically goes through and talks about how factually incorrect this whole New York Times piece is because um, violent crime rate is down. Yep. And then the other thing I want to share is let's end on a laugh because this the Babylon Bee kills it all the time lately, and they, they really killed it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry for people listening. Carrie, tell them what they're watching. This is an op-ed in the Babylon Bee, and it's it's <laughs> it's an op-ed by Kim Jong Un, and it says free speech is killing us. <laughs> It's the exact same op-ed. They just replaced, they, it, they actually have the whole text. They just replaced the picture with a picture of Kim Jong-un. Well, they, they changed a little bit of it, but they left a lot of it intact. Noxious speech is causing tangible harm to the best country on earth, the Democratic People's Republic. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they did change it. But it's very similar. It's yeah. very similar because you get down here and he's like, uh, oh, I like you. He goes, the answer's obvious. We should have thought police. <laughs> <laughs> We should curb speech in an effort to stop violence. Um, he goes on. Look, he's got some of the same lines in it. Using free speech as a cop-out is intellectually dishonest and morally bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm not calling for repealing free speech entirely. What I'm arguing for is silencing those whose speech your majestic rulers, namely me, find to be potentially seditious. <laughs> <laughs> Only when speech is carefully policed by myself or the New York Times. It doesn't say that. I just want to throw it in there. By people like the New York Times, your betters, with your betters determining what can be said and what cannot be said, then, then can speech truly be free. Yeah. Anyway, that's hilarious. I love this. I love the thing at the end, Carrie, oh. anyone disagreeing with this op-ed can, I forget what it said, but can like report to the nearest labor camp and, and, and send <laughs> messages directly to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they should. Uh, anyone disagreeing with this op-ed is welcome to submit complaints directly to the office of Kim Jong Un and also report to the nearest labor camp. That's hilarious. Uh -huh. The nearest in the U.S. it would be the nearest emotional labor camp. Ah. Uh. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. We gotta go. This has been a long one. I know. Um, I know. It's been long, but it was a. It's an important it one. It's important yes. to understand this from a principled perspective. It's important to understand these arguments and to understand how evil these ideas coming from the left are and to understand that the New York Times is a vector for this stuff. They are spouting this stuff regularly and it taints everything they do. Um, so You said taint. Okay. Anyway, right. have a nice day, guys. All right. Thanks for watching. Please don't <laughs> forget to like, subscribe, share. Uh, welcome again to the new uh, followers we've had. You can also go to unsafespace.com. Uh, and you can support us by going to subscribe star and looking for unsafe space. We don't make, uh, enough money. We don't make money on ads really at all. Most of our videos are demonetized on YouTube. So just to keep the lights on, we rely on donations. So give us a donation, uh, sign up and you get your name in the, in the credits. So thanks everyone. And if you, if you haven't already, you should go pick up a copy of Coddling of the American Mind because that's the book we're going to do for book club. We'll be announcing the discussion date soon. Yep.